Hello, this is BachCast, episode number 13, and I'm your host, John Hendren. fast one on you? That actually isn't a piece by Bach, is it? That is a violin concerto, actually a concerto featuring four different violins by Antonio Vivaldi from his Opus 3, Lestro Armonico. And that performance was by a group named Cafe Zimmerman. This is one of the latest releases they've made. It actually came out in 2013 on the Alpha label, and it's the first installment. I have not seen installment two come out yet, and it features uh, some of the Opus 3 concertos. They do things a little strange, a little differently. They've also woven in a, uh, two non-Opus 3 concertos in that collection, and that is originally, as you heard it, written in the key of B minor, and again features these four different violins. And it is a concerto grosso. Uh, they each don't have unique uh, parts. There's a, there's a lot of heavy lifting by the first violin, but they do this thing where they kind of play a theme and then the next iteration, uh, whether well, there's a change of key, let's say, then it goes to another violinist. And it's kind of a cool thing because you get to hear the different flavor or the different style between the different violinists. And, of course, there is that um, the style may be interpretive, which I will tell you a lot of ensembles try not to do. They try to sound homogenous, which I think is not in the spirit of of what we should be hearing. I think uh, it should be obvious to us that there are some differences. Uh, in some recordings or in some perf- live performances, you'll hear differences in the, in the tonal quality of the instrument between different players or volume changes. Um, and it, it kind of speaks to the fun of what Vivaldi created, which was this, um, this interesting cascading sound world of the main theme being tossed around to different instruments. In, in a way, he could have written it for a single instrument, but he chose to do it this way. He chose to be inventive. And of all of the so, so-called 500 or so concertos that Vivaldi wrote for string instruments, um, this collection, his Opus 3, which is relatively early in his career, uh, is looked to as maybe his most well-loved or somewhat most innovative even though if you were a Vivaldi historian, you'd say, well, of course not. He's inventing. He's coming up with new ideas, but he he has a mature period as well. And um, I don't want to make the focus of this Vivaldi, 
but why Vivaldi? Well, let's listen to this again. This once again is Café Zimmerman. different. Obviously the texture is different. Uh, the key has changed. We're actually now in the key of D minor and we have what sounds like a lot of harpsichords going on there. And this is a piece by Bach, uh, if you will. Uh, it's BWV 1065 and it's Bach's only version that has survived of a concerto for four harpsichords and strings. And it obviously is a ripoff, if you will, uh, a copy of Vivaldi's uh, concerto for four violins from Opus 3, Lester Armonico. So what is, what is Bach doing here? Well, we know that um, Bach's biographers told us that he, he liked uh, the Italian style. We know from his inventory of, of uh, belongings that he collected some Italian scores. Um, we know he studied Italian composers, and we now know that maybe one of the ways he actually studied these composers and their work was to rework them or to arrange them uh, for himself. And you think, gosh, if, if he's basically wholesale taking the concerto for four violins and writing for harpsichords. Um, what is the real point? And I would say it has less to do with Bach needing to study something to the point where he had to write it out and being a much more pragmatic thing. We know that when Bach moved to Leipzig, he took on an extra responsibility that was once that of uh, George Philip Telemann, which was to run the Collegium Musicum. And this was a group of uh, student performers who would perform for entertainment. Uh, and one of the places they would perform would be the Zimmerman's Coffee House. And that was the popular place in town to uh grab a snack, a coffee, and to hear live music on certain days and evenings. And it is also, of course, where the Café Zimmerman Ensemble uh, has, uh, led by Pablo um, Valetti, I think that's his name, um, it's where they grab their name, this this famous coffee house house that uh, was uh, a place where you might see Bach performing. 
And supposedly as it goes, Bach wanted to write things through the harpsichord. Uh, we might imagine this is very pragmatic. We know early in his career, Bach could play the violin and did so in an orchestra. But if we think that Bach is going to lead from the keyboard instrument, why not give himself uh, some of the important parts? And so, of course, we have Bach harpsichord concertos. This just one happens to be unique, and that's written for four of them. And um, it gave Bach the ability to, the opportunity, if you will, to go in and study Vivaldi's ideas about how to write for Ritornello and then to solo episodes back to the Ritornello, which is kind of the, the main theme. And it also gave Bach the ideas uh, for how to, the opportunity, in other words, not the ideas, but the opportunity to work out his ideas about how to take a uh, something written for a single instrument and give it to an instrument that has typically two lines written for it, left and right hands, and we, we get that same sort of challenge, I think, for the performers about uh, how do we perform this piece? Are the instruments supposed to sound different? Are they, you know, uh, are, are each, is each player supposed to take on their own special flavor? Uh, what, what is to be found here? This version for me, despite it, uh, I kind of like their version of the uh, Opus 3 and Vivaldi. This one for me is just too fast. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much caffeine they all had when they sat down to record this one, but to me it's just a little too fast, a little too rushed. Uh, you're missing some of the details. Um, and usually I'm a fast fan. Usually you can't, I won't say you can't play too fast for me, but I, I typically like the faster recordings, and this one to me was just a little too rushed. Um, so, BWV 1065, rearrangement of a Vivaldi concerto. And as I was, the point I was getting to was Bach was trying to be pr pragmatic, and he was arranging for his own needs, and his own needs was to have new, uh, flavorful, um, avant garde popular style music to play and for for him and his period that might have been Italians and why not choose Vivaldi who had been a well-known composer at the time rearrange it put a little Bach spin on it and of course we weren't there at the coffee house we don't know if Bach maybe uh, did uh, add some of his own flavor or his own ornaments or his own improvisation to it but it gives you uh, a sense of the challenge when you have an instrument such as the harpsichord where you don't have terrible control over its volume or its tonal quality aside from the way the whole instrument sounds to be able to differentiate yourself from the others. And that is a problem that I find. Um, ideally, this concerto, if it's by Vivaldi, for me, you want the four violinists kind of spaced out so you can very easily pick them out of the stereo image who is playing. You know, in a really good, well-done recording, you should be able to close your eyes and, and know whether it's one, three, two, or four and be able to point. Um, the harpsichord as an instrument makes it more difficult. And one of the things I see when people record this is they, they get the instruments as close as possible together. Uh, 
And there, there's pragmatic reasons for that as well. Um, there's a lot of notes going on, and there's it's very easy to kind of get off and to have the the tightness of the tempo and everybody playing in sync to get out of whack, to fall apart. And so you want your performers close to one another because when you get in a big space, especially a, a space in which you're going to perform with a, with a public, with high ceilings and, and stone walls or something like that, um, you get echo and you get reverb. And it's very difficult to play in unison as one cohesive unit when you are hearing the echoes come off the walls. And so it, it, it makes it easier as a performing ensemble to put the, uh, the folks closer together. It doesn't necessarily give us that cool stereo surround type sound where in an ideal in that scenario, we'd have the instruments spread as far apart as we could so that um, we could really hear the interchange between the instruments, which is kind of the cool thing that Vivaldi did for us. So with that, give me an introduction to the piece. Uh, maybe this is not my favorite rendition of it. I have to tell you, there aren't a lot of people recording these multiple-person concertos by Bach. Uh, Bach, we have an example of a three concerto, uh, three harpsichord concerto from him. And we have um, a two harpsichord concerto by Bach. And we have some solo harpsichord concertos by Bach. And they all seem to be arrangements of things. We don't always have the original, but there's enough clues that they are arrangements. And they may well all have been arranged or redone for the Zimmern Coffee House. And it showed us, I think, and you can take with a grain of salt maybe how much Bach had to study these other composers. Um, I'm not sure they had, as I said before, have to write out a complete concerto by somebody else. I think this is a, a, a an example that was left behind, thankfully, um, of Bach doing something very pragmatic, rearranging somebody else's work. Um, it'd be interesting to know if he played Telemann's music at the coffee house. He actually was acquainted with Telemann. Of course, Telemann was, had been in this role earlier, uh, around the turn of the century, uh, before moving on to more interesting things. And uh, we probably don't have the whole catalog of what Bach prepared and certainly don't have the whole catalog of what was performed. Uh, but this is one of those remnants um, that gives us an example of what Bach was up to aside being from being the music director at the Thomas Kirsche in Leipzig. So I have two other examples I'm going to share with you. Um, the next example comes from Tan Koopman and the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra. And since we've already listened to the first movement, I'll give you a sense of the, the drama and gravitas uh, that Vivaldi put in the second movement and see how Bach does that. And uh, see if you like the interpretation. This is kind of a weird one because it's da, 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 da. Um, this kind of full unison Everybody's playing that together, and then you have these little quiet episodes with, with things to come in. Let's see how Koopman does it.
Koopman kind of goes fast. He kind of goes through that uh, relatively quickly. Uh, I like the tempo where he starts it. Da, 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 da. But I, I think at the, at the next iteration of that, that theme, he could have slowed down a little bit. He could have taken some some deeper breaths between and kind of given it a little more drama and not just trucked through it. But I do appreciate uh, most folks when they play this, whether it's the Vivaldi version or the Bach version, uh, for me, just take it a little too slow. And with, with those notes and everybody playing the same thing there with that rhythm, um, it's kind of shocking. There's there's not a lot of examples of music written like that through the period, so it's it's meant to kind of be a wake-up call. Um, and the rest of the movement is kind of interesting because it's... Um, it's kind of more of texture. And of course, when you've got four harpsichords and you've got that plinky, plinky, plinky kind of sound to it, it can be interesting. And I think you might have picked up that Koopman and his recording uh, adds a little more filigree, adds a little more um, ornamentation to the mix, um, which kind of makes it interesting. And I think it uh, probably speaks well to maybe what Bach would have been up to uh, at the at the helm of, of the ensemble on the harpsichord, maybe adding some of his own own uh, taste to things. Um, of course, it's all conjecture, but uh, it, it seems to make sense to me. And Koopman is not shy about that throughout the rest of the recording. So uh, as you might imagine from this, this was recorded in... Um, I believe it came out in 1990, and this would have appeared on the Erato label, uh, which is a Warner Classics label. And, uh, of course, Koopman did many recordings for Erato with the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra. It's a nice recording. Uh, he has released, I believe, all the harpsichord concertos, including these multiple-person ones. And I happened to pick up just this one... Um, recording entitled Double Harpsichord Concertos, actually in a, in a French um, record store um, in Paris, which was kind of a neat find. And I, and I have a feeling it was used. It was not new, uh, but it was kind of a neat find. Um, I had been reading just months before about uh, people really liking Koopman's reading of the Harpsichord Concertos, and I had never heard them. And then to run across this disc was kind of a special treat while I was on vacation. But I'm going to end this with uh, the third movement, because uh, like many Vivaldi and Venetian concertos, it's in three movements. Um, we're going to hear that by what I consider probably my favorite of, of this concerto. It's the one I've been with the most. It's the one I've owned the longest. And it's the version conducted by Trevor Pinnock and the English Concert. And uh, he is obviously joined by some other harpsichordists, uh, among them uh, Lars Ulrich Mortensen and uh, Kenneth Gilbert. Kenneth Gilbert is of note because, uh, like Pinnock, he was a, a DG Archive artist. And, of course, re uh, being a French, he was a French he is a French-Canadian, uh, I believe. Canadian. Maybe not French-Canadian. 
Canadian harpsichordist, and uh, he's been an important uh, figure in the music world. Um, a lot of publishing work in the background, but kind of uh, unique if you followed the early music world on that label because basically it was owned by Gilbert and Pinnock uh, in the 80s and uh, early 90s as, as recording artists. And uh, it's probably not a huge surprise that uh, for making a record that they would grab somebody from that already been represented. But they do an admirable job, uh, tasteful, good tempo, and we will close and uh, take you to the end uh, listening to the English Concert, uh, directed by Trevor Pinnock, and this is, was released in the early 80s on the Archive Production label. My name is John Henry, and I want to thank you for listening to episode number 13 of BachCast. Incidentally, um, this is not Vivaldi cast, but if you are interested in uh, exploring Opus 3 by Vivaldi, there are a lot of recordings out there, including one by the English Concert and Trevor Pinnock, and that was the probably maybe the second or third CD sets um, or any CDs that I'd received as a gift. I, th- I remember asking asking for it as a gift maybe for Christmas or something and, and getting it. Uh, so it's it's been with me a long time. It was as how I discovered uh, Vivaldi's Opus 3. But uh, among my favorites, if you're interested in exploring more of Vivaldi's concertos and they're not familiar to you, if you don't own a recording of it, um, I might ask you to recommend to you to look at the version on the Virgin Veritas label um, with Fabio Biondi and Europa Galante. Um, they recorded that, I believe, in the late 90s, um, maybe early 2000s. And uh, if you know Fabio Biondi, is, it's an, uh, is an Italian, and he plays with a somewhat little more daring style perhaps than the English ensembles who first tackled this um, repertoire. Um, As I also mentioned, kind of an interesting new release um, which didn't go to the front of my list but it's nevertheless it's an interesting one. Um, The 
Cafe Zimmerman, which we opened with, uh, has recorded uh, a first disc featuring some of the Opus 3 concertos. Uh, so the, those would be departure points if you really like the style of this particular concerto by Bach for four harpsichords. Uh, I'll, I'll end by telling you that um, this is a real favorite piece of mine, and it's, it's the reason why I chose to feature it right now. Uh, I just couldn't wait to to kind of put it in cue for you to hear. And it, it's special to me for in particular because um, I think it's just a really good piece of music, whether you look at the Bach side or the Vivaldi side. It's, it's, the, it's, it's just really good, good music. And when I was going to college, um, my roommate at the time... Uh, as you might expect, was not a fan of, of Baroque music. Um, like almost everybody in college, he was a fan of popular music, uh, what you'd find on on the radio at the time. And so he was kind of curious, like, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? And I would play some of it, and, and he would just tease me about it. But this piece in particular... Um, he kind of liked, uh, I remember he took to it, and it, it became kind of interesting to me um, what pieces from the Baroque repertoire, which was my bread and butter uh, interest and passion, resonated with him just kind of as a sounding board, you know. Um, probably a Monteverdi madrigal would not cut it, but this, this arrangement of a Vivaldi piece uh, which we know was very fashionable when it came out and very popular with um, music fans in the Baroque period, still would resonate with somebody in the uh, late, late 20th century. Um, we had the opportunity, um, where I went to school, we had a, uh, a music school, and this was being performed. And I had never heard it performed before live. Um, so I, I kind of said, hey, there's this concert going on. They're going to play that song you like. And he's like, what song do I like? And I cue it up on the CD. They're going to play that? Okay, I'm going to go. So the next thing you knew, we were going across campus, uh, across town to hear this concert. And it, um, as it, again... It's not common to have four harpsichordists, so they, they came with an interesting way to fit them on the stage. They put them across the front of the stage, and this is performed in what, what we would call today as a chamber hall, not a maybe a symphonic hall. So this is typically where you saw uh, smaller pieces, and they played this with one instrument on a part for the strings, which um, lately has been uh, a popular way to do this. But they had four harpsichord students uh, and uh, three harpsichord students and the professor performing this. And, uh, of course, the harpsichords were all different uh, in color and, and appearance uh, because typically a school would not uh, purchase four uh, of the same instrument. Um, it might have been a stretch to find four instruments like this. And it was just interesting to see it in person because you... Um, the arrangement was kind of easy for you to hear who was playing when and where. 
but you also got to um, see who was playing that solo at that moment. And that's why, and I've written this on the site, I think that at some point, um, looking towards the future, that the visuals that we now have the capability of of putting to music through video, um, and I, I make the case that early attempts at this have been a little short-sighted, um, but the ability for us to watch a performance as it's being performed um, on a computer or on a mobile device or whatever it may be, may be the next real um, place for classical music to go. Um, there's definitely a downside of seeing the same person. It really sets for you, I think, that this is the one recorded performance. But with modern technology, there are ways for us, of course, now to uh, give control to the to the end user, to the listener, to customize things. You know, Glenn Gould talked about having the ability as a listener at home with your stereo and with basic things like tonal control to tailor the recording as its own thing to your taste. To, and it, it gave you on a very small level the ability to be part of the performance. You weren't just a passive listener. You could actually participate in a way, if you will. It was kind of a noble thought. And of course, I don't think he knew exactly where that might go, but had he lived longer, he might have helped to ignite some of that. Um, there have been examples of this uh, in in our more recent time. For instance, when the Nine Inch Nails, certainly not of uh, Baroque stock, more of the popular stock, put out one of their songs, I believe, or an, an album in garage band format uh, so that you could have a you could do your own mastering, you could do your own levels, you could do your own manipulation of their music in GarageBand on the Mac, which I thought was just so cool that here was a release and you're getting the, first of all, the high quality recording, and then you're actually getting to manipulate it if you wanted to. You know, you could you could mute the drums or you could you could change the effect on the drums, and. I think with video, there is there is something very powerful about seeing people perform this music, and this is is one of those examples that really plays out, uh, at least in the instrumental uh, repertoire. Uh, obviously, with with vocal music, um, seeing the performer to me is, is is very important. But with instrumental music, we we tend to the recorded sound off a record, off a tape, off a CD, off a MP3. Um, there's something about that psychologically or our minds. It's, it's okay that we can't see the people, but uh, when we take a piece like this that has four solo instruments that they're not all always playing in unison and they each have some unique parts as it goes on, uh, makes for some possibly some interesting drama. And I'm going to tell you about a recording that I've seen. It has some 
as you might describe them, some big classical music stars. I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mangle all the names. They've got uh, Eugenie Kissin. They have uh, James Levine. They have Martha Agarich. And I can't remember exactly who the fourth pianist is. It might been might have been Daniel Barenboim. But this was at a, a music festival, and they were obviously not playing on harpsichords. They were in grand pianos. And they had them kind of interwoven uh, where two of the pianists were facing the other pianist on the other side. And uh, there was just a combination of the camera work and the, the looks you were getting between the performers, which was just kind of interesting. And so I'll leave you with that thought. If you have the opportunity to hear this piece uh, or any of the, really any of the Vivaldi Opus 3 concertos played live, I would encourage you to take, take that opportunity um, because some of these pieces really lend themselves to uh, the interplay of parts. And um, I don't think you need to see a performer to really appreciate the music However, being in a concert space where people have thought about what's in the music and are not crippled by the technology of two microphones, um, you obviously can get a richer result. So with that, thank you for listening.